It takes more than great code to be a great software engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 37. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I am your best friend, Jameson Dance. Wait, <laughs> I said that last time. Oh, okay, hang on, hang on. You're nothing if not predictable. Oh, I'm your predictable friend, <laughs> Jameson. I'm the boat anchor that keeps you from drifting into unpredictability. <laughs> yep, I like that. Thank you for joining us. We are excited to answer your your non-technical questions about technical fields, but I think we have some comments from listeners first. Do you want to talk about those, Dave? Yeah, sure. We got a nice comment from listener named uh, Stepan Pilar, and he wrote that he has a comment about episode 18, which was dropping out of college. He said, quote, you raised an important point, but you didn't follow it all the way. Right now, you don't need an, any formal education to get a good and probably even excellent job in software engineering. You noted that this wasn't always the case and assumed that it won't be in the future. I tend to agree with you on this, but I'd still consider it an argument for formal education. Thanks for all the great episodes. Keep up the good work. So thank you for that comment. Yeah, thank you. All right. So also this week, we had lots of really awesome Twitter love from lots of people. And we wanted to give a big shout out to some people who tweeted about the show. Big hugs to Andrew, Priyanka, and Raphael. You're the best. And I just wanted you to know that hugs are a soft skill. Maybe even the softest of soft skills. <laughs> hugs are pretty rad. Um, you know what else is rad? Answering listener questions. Indeed. And and uh, smooth transitions. <laughs> smooth transitions. <laughs> Boy, do I have the transition for you. <laughs> Shall I read the, the question? <laughs> you should. Okay. As smooth as possible. <laughs> how does venture capital work and how does it affect me? Yes. This comes from listener Richard. And um, I know that there's going to be like a thousand answers to this. Because I think the way venture capital affects you depends a lot on the venture capital list. If you live in San Francisco, <laughs> venture capital affects you by subsidizing all these like ridiculous services that don't make any money, but you can still use them <laughs> until they fail. Yeah. Until they <laughs> fail. So you can like get somebody to take your garbage out for you and then like leave a nice little box of chocolates on top of it. And that's some, <laughs> some killer startup idea that is just losing money hand over fist, but some, but it'll run for a good it. eight months and then, yep. <laughs> Yep. So in that way, it makes your life better a little bit. <laughs> Unless part of your 401k was invested in that company. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I Actually, just get around that by not having a 401k. <laughs> Problem solved. The principle of the matter. <laughs> I was thinking just now, like, I, I think a lot of people, when they hear about venture capital, they think of some, like, eclectic billionaire sitting in a tower and he's like saying, I would like to throw $1 billion at the tech industry. But I don't think that's how it goes. I think these things are actually more like mutual funds than they are um, individual investors. I think a lot of times it's groups of people who are putting money into these things, like large groups of people. Have yeah, don't they that? go raise a bunch of money for their fund mm -hmm. from, so. from institutions and, and pensions and stuff like that? And then they'll go invest that in... Into in like a bunch of different companies. Chocolate right. garbage can deliveries <laughs> in San Francisco. Only. The, uh, but soon expanding. The, the pug rental by the hour as a service. Yep. <laughs> that one is in New York only, but soon it will expand to uh, Portland. More, more of New York. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, that would never work in Portland because everyone already has a pug. That's true. <laughs> 
Uh, so let's start with the basics. They they give money to companies <laughs> in exchange yep. for a portion of the company, and then they hope to make money by selling the portion of the company when the company is worth way more, or by not selling it when the company is worth nothing. Well, wait, you don't make. Do they make they, up? <laughs> that's how they make money, but they have to make it up in volume. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> just just like. <laughs> It's perfect, just like the startups. You just invest in enough failing startups, and you'll make and up the losses. The, the meta VCs will come invest in you because you show a lot of deal volume. There's like a whole level above. <laughs> you've never even heard of this one. Yeah. Uh, Dave, you've been through some VC investment. Do you want to talk about how it affected your life? Yeah, so I've worked for one company that was venture-backed, and I worked for them for about five years, and we had four different rounds of venture funding from, oh, I don't know, six or eight different investors. And the way that it affected my life was basically uh, it it just got me my paycheck every every month. You know, it, it hardly affected or impacted my engineering day-to-day at all, which I know is very different from other people's experience, but... For me, having venture capital be the investment vehicle for my company didn't really change the way we worked. Other than I never miss, they never miss payroll. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Did you have any options or equity in the company? Like, did did you hear about the how the investment affected that? Yeah, um, I did. Although it was hard to tell, but. Basically, if you own any amount of equity in the company in the form of stock or options, every time an investor comes in and the company agrees to give that investor a percentage of ownership in the company, all the other current owners, including stockholders and option holders, the value of their stock or options goes down. And I think we talked about this in the stock options episode a few months ago. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the basic gist of it is that you're giving up some of your ownership in order to take on new investment money. And that's basically how venture capital works. Even the very first venture capital round that a company goes through, you know, you're a, you're a founder, you own 100% of the company, and a venture capitalist shows up and says, I've got a million dollars to give you in exchange for 50% ownership in your company, which means if you sell your company, they get half the proceeds. You know, but basically, it's more complicated than that, I'm sure. Bankers have a way of complicating everything i mean so do we to be fair (laughs) (laughs) good point (laughs) you thought javascript fatigue was a thing (laughs) finance (laughs) fatigue yeah to finance (laughs) fatigue um so yeah it definitely has some effect on the financial structure of the company i think i'd like to talk more about the effect it has on the culture and the direction of the company venture capitalists generally um they make lots of bets and almost all of them fail. And if they do well, then one or two of them will go on to become a gigantic megacorp and they'll make all their money from that one investment. Yep. So that that affects how they interact with the company. Generally, when they invest, they get some amount of influence. Um, sometimes they get a board seat. Um, so oh, so yeah. they, they have some influence. Or, or you just want their investment for the next round. Um, like to participate in the next round. Yeah, yeah. So, and and generally VCs will push the company in a direction that they think has the highest probability of taking off to become a giant megacorp. So if there's a choice between um, 
being kind of a quietly profitable company that makes money for their employees and their owners, but it's never going to explode and, and go public or, or make billions of dollars. Um, or there's a much lower probability, but much higher reward. They might often push the company in that direction towards the, yeah. the higher risk, higher reward bet, just because that's how they'll get their big payoff. If, if the company becomes quietly profitable and they get two X their investment out, like, they, they don't care that much. That's my impression. I'm not a VC, um, but just from kind of seeing the interactions with them, that's that's what it seems like. And yeah, you, it, it does. If, if you don't want that, it can be a little scary, right? If you just want to work at a company that's like nice and does good work and tries real hard, and makes people happy, but it's never going to like uh, be a global megacorp, then then your your goals are now at odds with your investors, which can be tricky. Yeah. And you should we should maybe point out that the way the investors actually get paid is when there's some kind of exit. And I'll put exit in air quotes because it means specifically a point in time where the company can liquidate uh, the the option or sorry, the shares that are currently issued to these um investors. And that can happen through an initial public offering on the stock market or it can happen through an acquisition where mm-hmm. some other company pays cash for your company. And of course, a lot of that cash will get diverted to the investors instead of right into your into your founders' pockets or your employees' pockets. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it's possible they'll push towards an acquisition if they think that's the, the yeah. best option for them to get their money back. And like, I, I don't want to make it sound like they're these evil, scheming, no. horrible people. Like they're they're experienced business people, and and if they do really well, then you do really well too. And they're not. I don't know. I don't think they're trying to ruin your life or anything. But they they might have different goals than you. Yeah, and their schedule might be different than yours. Like because we said earlier, these venture funds will actually raise money on a timetable, and the the people who invested into that fund have some kind of guarantee that they'll get a payout by a certain date. They might rush companies to an exit in order to meet that schedule. Sure. Yeah, and they. I don't know. Would you say they have hundreds of investments in a portfolio? I don't even know what the order of magnitude is. Uh. I've heard some interviews with regional VCs, and I got the impression it was more for them, more like a dozen or two in a in a fund. Okay, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were ginormous mega funds that have you know hundreds of companies. Sure. Eh. Why did I even ask that question? <laughs> just making small talk on there, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, just I, I've heard it termed like the VC rocket ship. <laughs> Where you take VC money, you get a giant chunk of cash, and you use that cash to just like explode your business, um, and just like, well, you can control a rocket ship. Maybe the metaphor yep. <laughs> is breaking down. <laughs> well, sometimes that rocket ship propels you into space, and sometimes it just blows up on the platform. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a better way to think about it. Where <laughs> the the stakes are raised, though, for sure. I think. Yeah, that's, someone's going to blow up. That's. <laughs> you're definitely going to go fast the stakes are higher and and it can it can be incredibly helpful if you have figured out how to make money and now you just need a bunch of infrastructure or employees or or marketing to just like funnel into to to make more money that way like it can totally pay Mm -hmm. off um and i've also worked at and seen lots of companies where the company lives on like a year-long cycle where they raise money, spend a year doing work in order to be able to raise money next year, and then 
off that money, they will work for a year to raise money the next year. And that's just kind of like limps along. It's like getting of, elected. <laughs> maybe, yeah. But it, you it, get it elected just, and then immediately start fundraising. It just feels weird. Like there's two ways to have a business. And one is to make something that people will pay you for, like customers. And the other one is to make something that VCs will just give you money for. Mm-hmm. And it, it it just feels different when you're working for when you're working to catch their eye instead of building something that customers yeah. will give you money for. Yeah. Let's go back to the rocket ship metaphor. Let's say your rocket blows up on the platform. Then what happens? Like what if you just totally fail? You can't make any money and your your venture capitalist says what? I mean as an employee like you just go get a different job. I mean, the company is done. And then you get yep. a, you get a new job with the soft skills engineering advice. <laughs> uh, are you talking about as like a founder? Well, just yeah, all around. I mean, and as a founder, what happens? Not nothing. I don't know. This, <laughs> I'm sure it feels part, bad, but you don't go well, yeah. like debtor's prison or anything. <laughs> I feel so bad. Well, let's go do it again. <laughs> yeah, it's like a badge of honor. <laughs> like I rode that rocket ship all the way to the ground. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't seem to have long-term negative effects on people's careers. This is the part that amazes me because I always imagined that if someone gave you millions of dollars. Oh yeah, like if I gave someone a million dollars and they came back and were like, "Oops, I broke it." Like Yeah, like what? <laughs> what? I want my money exactly. back. <laughs> exactly. And so and yet that's not really what happens. I mean, when yeah. when a venture capital when you lose all their money, um they basically say, "Dang, <laughs> right and and you walk away i mean is that pretty much how it goes down i don't know i've never done this i watched some episodes of silicon valley though so <laughs> <laughs> i've worked at venture-backed companies that have failed uh and i know the kind of the the founders and they're they're fine they haven't told me in detail how how exactly that process went down and i gather mm-hmm. it wasn't completely painless but like they've founded new companies and raised more money and it's not the the black yeah. spot of doom or anything now, like on the that. other hand if you borrow money from a bank you know they're going to want that money back no matter what happens to your company yeah right because yeah, they true. you didn't usually you don't usually give the bank a percentage ownership <laughs> in exchange for their loan they just give you cash and they expect it to come back yeah um, i don't really know if you can get away from that but it seems like in the venture capital world people walk away from it all the time uh, let's talk about term sheets and valuation and stuff. Shall we? Sure. I've, in my startup, uh, where I worked for five years, in the early years, people were always saying, we need to look bigger than we are. And the driving factor behind that was that they wanted investors to see them as being very valuable. Because when an investor comes to invest in your company, the founder and the investor or the board and the investor will agree on what's called a valuation. And the valuation, the higher it is, the better it is for the founder and the worse it is for the investor. Because what you're saying is usually you're giving away a fixed percentage and uh, of ownership to the investor. And if you can get that investor to say, well, your company's worth $10 million instead of just $5 million, then they'll give you more money, uh, at a lower percentage so that when you pay them back at, after you're successful, you won't have to pay them as much cash. That's what it's all about. 
So that's what people mean when they say valuation. It's kind of like salary negotiation, but on steroids. Yeah, with There's a couple extra this. zeros on the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, with a little bit higher stakes. And it's also way made up, right? Like a lot of these numbers <laughs> are just true. like, I'm going to try to get you to, I'm going to use the best possible sales number I can dig up to convince the investor that I'm worth, you know, if I were to make that every day of the year, that I should be worth 365 times that, you know, or something when you've only ever landed a sale that big, like twice. <laughs> yeah, that's so a good that's point. That's the kind of stuff you pull. A lot of it is driven by, well, I guess you'd call it the market, but the market fluctuates much more wildly than developer salaries do, where valuations will go up like 4x in a couple of years or something like that. Just like the average valuation for a tech company that seems to have a good idea or whatever. Yep. And the term sheet is uh, basically the sheet, the, the contract that the founder and the investor sign that says, I agree your company is worth X amount of dollars today. I agree to purchase X percentage of your company for X price. And um, that's what gets signed. So when you have a signed term sheet, that's like, I think that's step one in the investment process. So if you ever hear your founder say, we got a signed term sheet, like that means you're almost definitely going to get funding. Should we talk about pre-money and post-money? Sure. When a when an investor comes in and says, I think your company is worth X dollars, that can be two things, either before or after the investment. And so if it's a pre-money valuation, um, like say they think your company is worth a million bucks and they want to invest another million, the pre-money valuation is a million. And the post, if they came in and did a post-money valuation, they would say it's worth two million. And so you can, you got to be careful when you hear these words, pre-money versus post-money, or rather, when you hear the word valuation, you need to ask, is that a pre-money valuation or post-money valuation? Because it changes the amount of dilution that you're going to undergo if you have any ownership in the company. So there's your little tip. I will use it wisely. So the other thing that uh, changes when you get venture capital funding is you generally get like crazy, ridiculous, outrageous perks. Because you, <laughs> you got that money and you got to show it off now. So you get like an office that's shaped like your CEO's horoscope sign or whatever or, <laughs> i don't know and the ball pit yeah but the balls are made out of solid gold now <laughs> those hurt okay so <laughs> i've had a i had a friend who whose company got invested in in the through venture capital and those investors came over and started making decisions for the company uh things as crazy as like how to organize the cubicles you know for maximum productivity so you can get these micromanaging investors because they really, really want their money to go to a successful company. And they think the best way to achieve that is by running the company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it can be kind of bad in that sometimes. That, that could be a good thing too, but often it can be pretty rough. It does seem like a very tricky trade-off where you need money to have a company <laughs> and to pay people. And, and it comes with a lot of strings attached. Mm -hmm. sometimes it's very worth it and sometimes it's the only way you can do it um like there are some businesses that just have large capital requirements where you can't yeah. unless you're a crazy rich person already you couldn't just like bootstrap a company that needs to build a power plant or something like that exactly well question answered question answered let us go on to the next one all right this next question is how do i give great presentations at work for example, my boss asked me to present something to some customers. How do I do this well? So we chatted about this beforehand. 
Um, and Dave, you you say or you said you you claim <laughs> <laughs> allegedly you've done this several times a year for for a decade, where you'll get you'll there will be some meeting scheduled and it'll be kind of a formal thing where you have you you there's a topic you have prepped for you might have slides you might just have some written notes or whatever but like you'll stand up in front of everyone and present the thing that you've prepared right mm -hmm. and i have literally never done this in a company i mean i've given conference talks or whatever but i've never had like a formal scheduled meeting where i present the thing i've prepared which abs which completely surprised me when you said that Maybe they just don't trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can go uh, stand in front of thousands of people and give conference talks, but not in front of your four coworkers. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I mean, I've done brown bags, but those are basically small conference talks. Yeah, uh, yeah. On internal like engineering things to people, and I've and I've talked to customers and business people, but it's it's never been like a formal meeting with an agenda where part of the agenda is mm -hmm. like. Verily, Jameson Dance, first of his name, will now present <laughs> on the engagement metrics or whatever. <laughs> well, I've done I've done this for customers. For Wait. what? Oh my gosh! I no, I I have just blocked it out of my mind. We literally did this like every week. <laughs> what? I just I just hated meetings so much that I blocked what? it out. <laughs> what did you do? I presented. I, I made I made PowerPoints. I'm remembering now. I Wait, literally you did this, did this every week and you have forgotten. Yeah, for like for like I don't know, almost a year. <laughs> 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 One time I made a presentation that was synced to um that song from uh two thousand one A Space Odyssey where they find the, mm -hmm. the monolith. monolith. Or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like individually synced every frame. Oh yeah, it was it was it was about like some new launch of a thing we did or something. I don't know. That sounds amazing. Okay, so I have I think done that this. there's your answer. That's the answer to this question. Yeah, it took so long. <laughs> I spent like three hours on on like a two minute long presentation, and, <laughs> and I laughed and laughed. So it was all worth it. <laughs> wow! And yet you repressed this memory. Jamie. I did repress it. <laughs> Oh, that probably tells wow. you more about me than than the answer to this question. You're like, but. nope, I've never done this. You know, historically on this show, that only happens to me. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I'm having a Dave moment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm uh, so glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> good. Anyways, let's see if I've repressed any any wisdom while you you lay out all the stuff you've prepared. Because while we were talking about this, I was like, I literally have nothing to say about this. I do not know. I can't tell you. Maybe I'll have some repressed wisdom that'll come forth. All right. So here's here's my number one suggestion. I have heard so many people stand up and say, here's how to do great presentations and public speaking. And here's techniques for what to do with your eyes. Here's techniques for how to stand and how to, how to you know, control the pitch of your voice. and Power poses. Power, <laughs> push your shoulders back. Yeah. Imagine the audience in their underwear. You know, and all these awful things, which... I've never heard someone stand up and say, the first step in doing a great presentation is having something good to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like sometimes you're just forced to do a presentation and I get it. But step one is have something worth saying. You know, if you if you just have to fill a time slot or something, 
try your darnest to get out of it, you know? It's like, look, I don't have anything worth saying here. Or, you know, try to figure out something that's worth saying. But that's number one. If you have something that you are proud of saying, something interesting and valuable to your audience, then everything else will be a lot easier. But if you just are filling a time slot, it's just going to suck. I don't care how good of a presenter you are. Maybe that's why I repressed it, because it was just like weekly product like sta- team status update. reports. Yeah, but they were like presentations to a committee of people. So everybody had to make slides. Mm-hmm. And okay, I can give you some anti tips. Um, oh, think yeah. about what your audience would care about and say that stuff instead of what you care about. Because there was a lot mm. of status updates that were like, here's these things that are important to me that, that don't mean anything to other people. And I'm sure I did this a lot too. But like, wait, so which one should you do? Stuff that's important to you or stuff that's important to the audience? Stuff that's important to the audience. Do okay. that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <they're>... Okay, phew. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's totally what I was going to say. You're like, I have an announcement that this is my last week on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that go, that goes in line with what you were saying about have something great to say. And if you're not thinking about the audience, you'll just fill time, like Dave said, mm-hmm. and, and then everyone will be bored unless you sync it to a song from a sci-fi movie. <laughs> and then they'll laugh and they won't remember anything that it was actually about. Yeah. All they'll remember is that that was awesome. <laughs> yep. Mission accomplished. That's That may, might be the only one of those meetings I remember. One of the things that I've come to learn doing presentations is that even if you talk to someone for 30 minutes, they really can't remember more than about one thing that you say. Oh yeah. Uh, I've already forgotten everything we talked about so far. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you have like 15 points that you want to make, just bag it. This isn't the right form. That should be like a written paper or something. If you have one point to make, then, you know, a 20 minute, 30 minute presentation could do the job. But you'll have to support that point for 30 minutes and maybe say the point three or four times. But I think one key point is really important. Uh, it, it's it's tempting to just unload all the information you have, but try to think about the one most important thing and craft everything else around that. These all seem like variations on the theme of, uh, like, you have all this information that you think is important because you live what you're presenting about most well. I guess that's better than the alternative, which is someone's like, present on this thing that you have to make up completely in the next five minutes. <laughs> True. Uh, so, you, yeah, can, kind of condensing it into something that they care about. That Yeah, that feels feels like, feels like you're hitting on a theme. Maybe I'll remember it if you <laughs> come at it from enough different angles. <laughs> and restate it. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it doesn't feel like you're restating it. It's just like different facets. Um, the other thing I'd recommend is to be ready for questions. So... Take your time and do your research so that you can answer things intelligently. That can be hard to do because questions sometimes just come out of left field. And if you get hit with a question that you don't know the answer to, it's okay to say, I'll get you an answer by the end of the day. You know, it's not usually a kill. It doesn't usually kill your presentation if you um, have to say that. It's totally fine. Are you talking about um, persuasive presentations where you're trying to convince someone of something or to do something? Or does this, does this apply to just anything where you're just sharing information? I was thinking more about informational stuff. I don't think I've really... Well, maybe I've done persuasive stuff. Maybe I've done a bunch of persuasive presentations, but then I've repressed the memory. <laughs> <laughs> it would I fit. But I don't remember doing too many. Yeah. 
Because I'm just thinking back to to the question about presenting something to customers. Are you trying to like sell them on a thing, or are you just giving them, showing them how some new feature works? Or well, if there's customers involved, you can bet there's a certain degree of salesmanship going on. Would you approach right? those the same way? Uh, I probably would because if it looks like it's salesy, you'll probably get in. Well, for some audiences, you'll get less of a you'll get a less good response. You know, but if it just looks informative and you're just stating the facts and the facts happen to be amazing, <laughs> you might get what you want. That's true. So step one, work somewhere where the facts are amazing. <laughs> so there's like a thousand things that you can do right and wrong giving presentations. I don't think we could possibly even know, let alone talk about them here. But um, I do have one more thing I wanted to share. Yeah. Which is specifically about a presentations that involve demos. Have you ever done one of those? I have. I think that it's really common for people to rush through the setup on a demo. Have you ever seen someone do this where it's like they they go so fast through the setup and then they do the demo, they click the button, the the, the thing that's supposed to be so amazing happens, but everyone in the audience is like, now wait, what? What just wait? <laughs> did I did I miss it? You know? Oh yeah, I get it. Like the context of the demo. Yeah, like it. you usually have to take literally, in my experience, about 10 times as long as you think just to set it up so that when you do the click and the magic thing happens or whatever it is, the audience is like, yay, instead of like, wait, did you do the demo? <laughs> okay, so you don't mean like the practice or prep time or whatever. You no, mean no, I mean while like you're doing the, the demo, yeah. you have to set the yeah. stage. Exactly. Uh-huh. Explain what's going to happen explain why this is so much better than the old way because usually when you're demoing something it's like a new some new cool way to do something um you know take your time to to set that up if you start out with a great idea something that's worth sharing most of the other pieces will fall into place all right question answered question answered we did it we shed wisdom and i remembered i recovered some repressed memories we, we unlocked <laughs> the dark corners of jameson's brain oh man there are some dusty things back there well we should say big thanks to our good friends over at dev mountain yeah for i was sponsoring just about to say that we have dev mountain on the mind thank you dev yeah, mountain we, we will never forget you dev mountain nope dev mountain <laughs> we'll never repress you as a memory no <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway. It's a technique to say someone's name three times when you first meet them, and you'll never forget them, Dev Mountain. Really? Dev Mountain? <laughs> yeah, you won't forget their name, Dev Mountain. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you so go, much for sponsoring. Uh, go hit our website at softskills.audio slash devmountain to check out some of the courses that they're offering and uh, see if it's right for you to level up your software development career. Mm -hmm. And how can people submit questions or just hear more from us? If you want to submit a question on the show, go to softskills.audio you will be greeted with two choices. Choose wisely. The first choice is to click to tweet us or send us a direct message on Twitter. The second option is we have a little form you can fill out that lets us have a little more background information or if you don't use Twitter, you can use that form. Fill that out and that'll go to our queue and we promise to get to you. We've had so many really awesome questions coming in lately and hopefully we can get to all of them before the universe burns out. Yeah. I, I have that hope in my heart as well. When you said that there are two choices and you have to choose wisely, I, I, in my head, I was like, oh, one of them, when you submit, a pit opens up under your chair and you get like sucked down into a dungeon or something. <laughs> like I thought there was going to be a bad outcome. But they both work, right? <laughs> Neither of them will result in a pit. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. We would love to hear more from you. And uh, 
I have no more words to say after I just said us. So I'm going to say thank you for listening. (laughs) We'll catch you next week. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. See ya.